This is the Innovation Engine Podcast from Three Pillar Global, your home for conversations with industry leaders on all things digital transformation and innovation. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine. Today, we're speaking with Corey Gunberg about driving digital transformation in large corporations. I'm your host, Scott Barrow, Three Pillars Chief Evangelist, and today we'll cover how to get buy-in when that means convincing thousands of people to change the way they think and act. Why many people put too much emphasis on the digital when it should really be placed on the transformation, and how ultramarathons relate to digital transformation. Corey has a wealth of experience driving transformation as the COO of Optum Financial. He previously served as Chief Digital Officer for Optum RX. He has also held several leadership roles at Walmart, including SVP of Health and Wellness, SVP of Walmart Labs, VP of Walmart Technology, and Senior Director of Innovation. Corey, we're glad to have you. Yeah, Scott, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Look forward to talking with you. Yeah, this is it. Well, this is a meaty topic for sure. Uh, transforming large organizations is is not easy. Um, so why don't we start just uh, with where you are now? Um, your a little bit of background in your current role. Uh, many listeners may have heard of Optum, um, but they may not know the breadth and depth of, of what you do, um, what Optum does. Um, and then uh, a little bit more on your role in Optum. Sure, sounds good. Um, so appreciate the time. You know, People may may not have heard of Optum, but Optum's part of a larger organization called United Health Group. And the way I like to describe it is United Health Group has two parts, really Optum and United Health Care. And so United Health Care, health plan organization, serving employer individual markets, Medicare and retirement markets, have a, a, a large business. The other half is Optum that often serves United Health Care in other external uh, healthcare companies. And so when I think of Optum, I break it out in a couple of simple ways. One, we have Optum RX, which is a large pharmacy benefit management and prescription home delivery organization. So think of your maintenance medications, maybe your specialty medications that you need, you know, taking care of your pharmacy benefit needs and also delivering that medication to home. So Optum RX is a big part of, of Optum. You have Optum Health. So think of like a care delivery organization that really, you know, delivers care to those in need um, through a variety of different care centers. We have Optum Insights that does external consulting, internal consulting. Optum Insight just, we just had the acquisition of Change Healthcare announced. So that'll be really exciting as we integrate Change Healthcare. And then I'm part of Optum Financial, which from a reporting out to the street standpoint reports up into Optum Health as part of Optum Health's overall business. And I'm the chief operating officer for Optum Financial. Happy to dive a little bit deeper into Optum Financial as a business if you want or take it another direction. Yeah, well, why, why don't you give it, I mean, because you and I have spoken about this before and I found it fascinating, the range of services that Optum Financial is involved in. Can you just give a few examples? Yeah, I'm happy to. So Optum Financial really sits at the intersection of Healthcare, financial services, and fintech, which for me personally is an awesome place to be right now. Like, how do we figure out how we can help people not only find the care they need, but pay for the care they need? And paying for that care is a really important part of that care journey. People's inability to pay for care can lead to things like bankruptcy, certainly them going to collection agencies. And so, you know, when we think about how we help people there, we run a large and I would say leading health benefit account business. And what that means is, so think of a 
health savings account you get through an employer, maybe a financial savings account, a health retirement account. So how do you take advantage of the triple tax advantage you get by having employer make pre-tax contributions, you make pre-tax contributions, and then be able to spend that money without being taxed on it? So it's an amazing opportunity that, that you have there from a health benefit account business. And we run, I, I think, one of the best in the U.S. at that. Another part that we have is a business that um, facilitates payments between health plans, so United Healthcare, other health plans, and provider offices. So the payments from the health plans to the provider offices, example, and payments from consumers to those provider offices. And so we help adjudicate those payments and that, that payment flow. Another business that we have is uh, called Solutran, and it's what I'd like to call a directed benefit spend business. And that's a lot of words that may not mean anything to somebody. So think about this. If you are a Medicare and retirement member, so you qualify for Medicare and retirement. Scott, we're not quite there yet. But we're probably not <laughs> far off, right? Um, so let's say you're you know, whoa, whoa, seven whoa. years old <laughs> and you, you, you qualify for that. Um, you'll select your health plan and you may get a fairly rich benefit pool as part of that. Mm. You know, you'll get your health benefits, but you also may get an allowance for over-the-counter medications. So your, you know, your vitamin Ds, your vitamins, those kind of things. You may get a monthly or quarterly allowance for food, like healthy foods that qualify. Maybe you get a transportation benefit. Maybe you get a benefit that helps you pay your bills. What this business does is it can set up those directed spend benefits, we call them, hmm. according to what the health plan wants to set up. And then it can process those payments from, uh, it'll be in 2023, 55,000 different retail locations. We also have the ability for people to call in and leverage those benefits to order over-the-counter medications, those kind of things. You can go online at certain retailers and use those benefits as well. Hmm. And so what that really did is previously a Medicare and retirement member would maybe get for that set of benefits five different cards in the mail. They'd have to understand what do they get with each one? Is this a, a monthly benefit, a quarterly benefit? How do I use the benefit? Now we're going to a single card that a member can keep in their wallet and they can use it at the retail location. They can use it online um, in a variety of different ways and really make it easy for them to utilize the benefits that they're already paying for. And these are great benefits. So super uh, exciting business there and that direct spend benefits. Although at some level, going from five cards to one card hardly feels like you know a massive leap forward, but um, you know, as a, as someone who uses these benefits, I can tell you, I'm pretty sure there's, I have at least two or three outdated cards in my wallet because I don't know if they have money on them or not, um, yeah. to be totally frank. Um, yep. it's, uh, it is, it can be very, uh, very overwhelming on the, on the consumer side for sure. You know, so, so that's really interesting. So certainly, and it's interesting to hear you be so excited about a space where when I hear financial services and I hear health in the same sentence, sentence. I hear all the roadblocks to transformation, right? Uh, there's a lot of compliance, security, privacy uh, concerns that that fit into that space. So I, I'm I'm interested to kind of kind of pick a little bit at your excitement for that that space um, and and your ability to transform and 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 innovate in that space. Yeah, I think you know first and foremost to start with an innovation or transformation, we understand like what are the problems that those have that we're trying to serve. And then how can we uniquely help them you know, solve those problems? 
And and I think, you know, again, Solutran with the, the offering we had that will be branded sort of U-card with UHC for 1123, kind of the single card in U-card is an amazing example because, you know, those benefits went highly underutilized. And what we know is healthy foods and, you know, your over-the-counter medications can help prevent health care visits to a hospital and prevent sort of larger healthcare issues. And so if we can get it on the front end and make the healthcare system work better for everyone, this is one small example, I think we can truly change healthcare in America. And when you're part of something that is that big and ambitious, it's hard not to be excited about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I talk a lot about uh, missionaries versus mercenaries. Um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, your, your mission comes out very clearly, uh, when you state it that way. And, and so let's dive in a little bit on the Optum journey. So you joined in, in 2019, just after the company had announced they'd hit a hundred billion dollars in revenue, uh, which is mind boggling, uh, uh, for me. And that was the first time they had reached that plateau with, you know, and they'd grown by 11% the previous year. And, and you're coming into an organization that's that successful, and trying to make the case for more transformation, how, how do you make that case? You know, the interesting thing coming in, and one of the things that really attracted me to Optum and joining OptumRx, is the leadership team was already there. Hmm. So I think there's a restless pursuit of excellence that is within sort of ingrained in this organization um, at the United Health Group level, and whether that's Optum or United Healthcare. And you're never really satisfied with the status quo. And so when I joined the organization as part of OptumRx, the collective leadership team under John Prince was the CEO at the time, realized that, yeah, they may be one of the largest pharmacy benefit management organizations in the U.S., but being one of the largest isn't necessarily the goal. They wanted to be the best. Mm. And so... I think there was always striving to be better and then and not really sort of compare yourself against other organizations like you, like other pharmacy benefit management or home delivery organizations. But what are those best in class consumer brands out there that people recognize? And how do we strive to be aspire to be like them and serve the consumers in maybe ways they didn't even know they needed and help them solve problems they have? And that was really with kind of, you know, healthcare, uh, pharmacy benefits prescription management, making sure people are getting the medications they need. And when I saw that restless sort of pursuit for excellence and not really being satisfied, I'm like, this is a place where one, I don't have to convince people there's a need to transform. They're not resting on their laurels Hmm. and they're actually probably going to push me to be better. Mm -hmm. And that was awesome. Yeah. To be able to contribute and to be pushed. Did you find then that, um, and it it sounds like you did, uh, but I want to call it out, that you found that this mission, this mission to be better, to advance healthcare and, out, and health outcomes, was a, was a shared mission with, with your colleagues there at Optum? Yeah, for with a lot of my colleagues at Optum, that is a shared mission and across United Health Group. Hmm. Um, you know, how do we make the healthcare system work better for everyone at the end of the day? Hmm. And, you know, I'm convinced that if healthcare is going to be transformed in the U.S., and I think it will be, it needs to be done by organizations like United Health Group. We're, we're in the driver's seat there, and we need to sort of push for that innovation and that transformation and making it really easy for the consumer, the customer, the member to get the care they need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so one of the challenges, because it's a large organization um, and, and you have experiences at Optum and Walmart, large organizations trying to drive some change, what are some things that that you pay 
attention to that you you really focus on most acutely? And, and definitely an addendum to that is what are some things that you try to ignore? Because uh, mm-hmm. there, there's always a signal to noise ratio. So I'm, I'm curious how yeah. you see that. First and foremost, I try and ignore my past biases. Mm. Like my experience of how we went about doing things needs to be a positive, but I can't go into something assuming the problems I solve for in another place in the organization or the organization apply here. And so, you know, one of the things I think about is how do you approach the first 30, 60, 90 days? I think it's so critical. And, and here's how I do it. First, I listen, then I learn. And then I lead. And, you know, that listening involves not only listening to sort of the colleagues around you, the people that have experience and expertise, because especially joining Optum or Walmart, very, very successful businesses, there's a lot to learn from the people that are there. There's a lot to learn from the team members that serve the consumers. So in a Walmart store, that's going into the stores and learning from the employees in the stores, the store managers, department managers, going into distribution centers and learning from the people running the distribution centers. They're really close to serving the consumer every day. Here at Optum, it looked a little bit different because it's largely sort of call center based Mm -hmm. in how we service the customers. So going and doing side-by-sides and really learning and understanding the business and doing that in every part of the operation. When it comes to like the home delivery prescription business, going and seeing the fulfillment of the prescriptions. Hmm. How do the pharmacists and the technicians work to process those prescriptions? Then how are they processed and fulfilled in the back end and ultimately get mailed out to a consumer's home? What can we learn from those that are doing it day to day that are closer to the consumer about what we really need to do to improve or transform as a business? And, you know, I love Hmm. the quote from Sam Walton that the best ideas come from your associates. Hmm. And I think you just need to ask and you need to listen. Hmm. Did you do some of those uh, those uh, side-by-sides? Yeah, I've done it in every business. So I don't remember the exact count when I when I joined sort of OptumRx, but it was in the hundreds of individual side-by-sides that I did. Here in Optum Financial, since I joined here in January, I visited, I think, every operating site we have. And in every operating site, I've done side-by-sides where I listen to calls. I've done side-by-sides with team members that process, you know, work in the back office. That could be like claims processing, that kind of thing. Mm. Do listening sessions with team members of all grade levels to hear, like, I want to understand what's going well. And I also want to understand if they could change one thing, what would they change? Mm -hmm. And once you start opening that dialogue, it's amazing the ideas that you get. Now, the really important thing I think for leaders there is you have to build a culture of trust in the organization. And part of that is with the team members that work in your organization, one, like it's great to listen to them, but they're going to really be watching for what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. And so we track and we have about 80 different items, as an example, that have come up through the listening sessions in Optum Financial. And we track our progress to completion on that report back out to it to the team members. And we highlight so-and-so team member came up with this great idea and we yeah, we implemented that. And here's the difference it's making for everybody. And, and create truly an open door culture there where the team members are comfortable raising issues and concerns and they're comfortable raising new good ideas. Um, I, I think it's great. I mean, and this is, this is a lesson I think that a lot of senior leaders uh, could stand to learn. And, and you kind of you said a couple things there that are really interesting. One, um, checking your own biases, right? Like you could do that same, all of the same activities, 
But if you hold your biases, you're just looking for evidence that all of your that you were right, um, and and you're just collecting data points. But if you're actually looking for places where maybe you're wrong or you have an incomplete picture, uh, you can yeah. really learn a tremendous amount. So your approach to that is is so key. Uh, but the fact that you you do it at all is uh, is is already interesting and and uh, says a, says a lot about you and 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 your style. Yeah, that's, I think that's really really interesting. And 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 also it speaks to something that we we try to preach a lot of, which is uh, you know actually sitting in your customer's shoes and getting the the empathy that you get from sitting on their side of. So many products are built by people who've never seen a person who might actually use their product. And that's, it's a scary thing how many producers never meet a consumer in, especially in digital technologies. Um, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's fairly uh, fascinating and, and frightening. <laughs> and, and so I'm always trying to find ways to bridge that divide. But, you know, I mean, you know, one of the things that, that's, that's really great, I think as well is, is you have what, you know, many of us would salivate at. You have a very large budget at Optum for innovation and for technology um, that, that dwarfs what several other companies are able to spend in this area. Um, I think according to Optum's website, uh, the company claims to invest $6.4 billion each year in technology and innovation. You know, I'm definitely one, one of the people who's like, okay, that, that, that would be great to have. But what are some of the big buckets that that represents? Yeah, and, and so I think in general, when you think about what does it represent, it represents help helping to make the healthcare system work better for everyone. Mm. And so there's a variety of ways and sort of different technologies um, that comes forward, very focused on how do we build experiences that work for the consumer or the member where they're at. Sometimes that will be an amazing self-service digital experience in a website or an app that connects them with their healthcare journey where they're at, understands who they are and what they need next. Sometimes that could be, frankly, an experience where I call I call a call center and somebody knows who I am, they know likely why I am calling, and they help me take care of my needs. Often, obviously for us, my healthcare-related needs. And so how do we really build the process and technology that makes it really easy for a consumer or a member to take care of their healthcare needs. I personally focus a lot on, I'm gonna call it the the digital self-service experiences, making that easy, but also then making it really easy for our team members and the process and technology they have to take care of the member when the member calls in. Mm. And I think both of those areas are very important. You know, Some of that is leveraging data analytics to drive insights to help that consumer. Some of it is a simple workflow either for a member or customer or for a team member that is serving them. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of that has to work together because, you know, I can't sort of dictate how you want to interact with us, Scott, as a member or consumer. Mm -hmm. You're going to choose if you want to use the mobile app, if you want to use the website, if you want to call us, maybe you want to chat with us. But what I need to do is be excellent in all of those areas so you can get the service that you need. Mm Well, and, and one insight that that I, I gathered um, is uh, with respect to the team members, as you talk about them and, and giving them tools to better serve uh, customers. You know, if they if they buy into your mission, they they want to serve people better, and so uh, enabling them better can be uh, as as useful for their morale and and their uh, their engagement as it is for the the people they're trying to serve. Um, yeah. which, which is great. So, you know, you know, during the intro, I, I, I mentioned that you had experience changing the way thousands of people think and act. And if we, we dig into that a little bit, 
you know, there are more than a million uh, employees at Walmart uh, leveraging technology. Do you have any stories from that transformation that that uh, you can kind of give us a before and after on? Yeah, uh, I have a ton of stories. Um, <laughs> I imagine. I'll, I'll pick a couple. So I was at Walmart from 2010 through 2019. An amazing sort of nine years with an iconic brand and culture, very much a purpose-driven culture. And if you sort of think about what happened around 2014-15, what really happened was across retail, sort of the digital and physical coming together in ways that just seem obvious to us, to, to us today, but they didn't exist back then. And so what we had was new leadership took over for Walmart US. Greg Foran was named the CEO of Walmart US in that time, and he brought in a new leadership team. I was put in charge of technology delivery for Walmart US, so really partnering with Greg and his team to figure out how do we deliver uh, the technology that the consumers and the team members need. There was a, they call them associates at Walmart in order to serve the customer and for the business. And you know, one example I'd give you is, you know, in 2014-2015, really the e-commerce business, so think of Walmart.com and the US stores business or two separate entities that sometimes, frankly, were at odds. You would hear examples of store managers and maybe even like employees, associates in the stores, I would say, that wouldn't really even acknowledge that Walmart.com existed because they felt like it was taking sales away from the store. Hmm. And so if you fast forward, you know, to, I forget when it happened, but maybe 2016, 2017, somewhere in there, the leadership team did a couple of things. One, they aligned incentives. And by the way, the important thing about his incentives is they work, so you better have the right ones. And what they did to align <laughs> incentives is they gave the store managers, an entire store, I should say, credit for e-commerce sales in their zip code. And so what that did is that made it so you were all operating as one team and you had the stores that were promoting people to engage digitally because it benefited them. And oh, by the way, we had a little bit of research at the time that said those individuals that shop in store and shop online, so you're multi-channel consumers, are overall the consumers that spend the most and they're the most loyal to the brand. Mm -hmm. So let's figure out ways to bring the digital and physical together. Mm -hmm. And in Walmart really chose to go after online grocery pickup and delivery as an area where it was going to compete and differentiate. And so I want to say 2014, 2015, there wasn't online grocery pickup and delivery broadly at retail, much less at Walmart. And, you know, under Greg Foran's leadership and the store's leadership he put together under Judith McKenna, Mark Ibbotson there, they set out on a strategy to enable online grocery pickup and delivery across Walmart. We had some amazing leaders in technology that had started that up. And Rob Pusillo, Kristen Williams, this individual, Kevin O'Reardon, took it over. And really across, I want to say, two or three years went from no stores that had zero stores having online grocery pickup or delivery capabilities to scaling across the U.S. where it's available to 95% of the U.S. And for me, that was an amazing business transformation, digital transformation, lesson in leadership, lesson in how to leverage 
process and technology to serve the customer because you had to build all this tech for the associates in the stores to pick the orders effectively. You had to build all this tech for the consumers so they can engage on walmart.com or on the app. And you had to build out all this operating infrastructure and frankly make investments into the stores for what's going to come and be the the you know the future of retail when it wasn't really clear would that how would that make money or not uh-huh. and so huh. i think it was an awesome transformational journey connecting the digital and physical and really bringing together the best of walmart um that was frankly fun to just be a part of that's a, that, wow. That's a, that's an incredible story, and, and I do love that there's an there's an offline and an online component to the story, um, as well as the psychological. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm an economist uh, by training or by schooling, I should say, um, and I love the alignment of incentives that that does really make a, a big difference. It also creates um, the potential, or what, one of the things that I've run into, and I'm curious if you ran into this during the, the that time at Walmart, the potential for people to say, well, I can't affect sales on online. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm far removed from that. I don't like our website. I wish it, you know, whatever. Um, you run into a ton of this kind of, uh, opposition. How did you deal with that kind of, those kinds of pockets of opposition or, or feeling of, uh, of disempowerment against the, that, that strategy? I think for, it's a great question, by the way, for those individuals that may have resisted the change, and you're always going to have people that do that, I think the first and foremost thing to understand about any change is it's really hard for somebody to accept it if they don't know what what it means to them as an individual. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's hard for me to go through a change and sort of get on board with it unless I know what it means for me. I think for the associates in the stores, as an example, some of them may have felt, well, with this e-commerce thing, man, our store is going to be around. Are they going to be relevant? Like, mm-hmm. what? Are, like, are we going to matter? And you know, what if the leadership team did, I would say, from the business, Greg and Judith and that leadership team is, you know, they really built this sort of one team concept and that the stores are the lifeblood of Walmart. They will ma- they matter now. They will matter forever into the future. How they integrate across digital and physical may change over time, but their shopping destinations that the vast majority of America, millions of Americans, hundreds of millions of Americans love to shop at. And, you know, they're important in today for today's business. And they're even more important for the future of business because the future hasn't been written. And Walmart really gets to write that future. And I think they started, as an example, with online grocery pickup and delivery. Uh-huh. Well, you know, what I find fascinating about that, too, is, is you know, I'm much more likely as a consumer to use a brick and mortar as a way to to test drive or to to you know I want to I want to touch and feel what it is I'm thinking about buying especially if it's a big bigger ticket item like an audio system or a TV or you yep. know or a laptop or something like that but I'm very unlikely to make the purchase on site yeah I'm much more likely to make it online after you know probably talking to my wife or something um, yep. <laughs> or or yeah. looking at options or whatever but um but I'm going to use that brick and mortar experience as part of my overall shopping journey, but I'm, I may or may not make the purchase in the in the store. Um, so I what I find fascinating is going at the grocery side of things, because that's been talked about for a while, this idea that brick and mortar might become the the showroom, but not really where people make purchases, right? But then then to flip the script and go for the the lowest end, right? The you know, you're gonna need groceries. 
So if we can solve groceries and get you there, get you used to Walmart, walmart.com, that's a that's a really interesting uh, strategic end and, and a risky one. Yeah, but but think about the frequency of the purchase patterns from a grocery or kind of consumable standpoint, if you will, mm-hmm. versus more hard goods like a TV. I don't buy a TV very often personally. Um, <laughs> you know, it'd be weird if you did. <laughs> yeah, but groceries for a family of six, we're buying a lot every week, mm-hmm. um, and so. If you can build a really simple and easy experience there, um, you can build a lot of brand affinity and stickiness with consumers that will then shop and consider you for maybe other things they wouldn't have. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the amazing part about kind of that online grocery pickup and delivery business is the stickiness of it. And frankly, you know, how much people are delighted by that experience. And if you can delight them, creates a ton of brand affinity, and they'll be better customers overall. Yeah, no, definitely. That's I, you know, I'm reminded um in my uh, my own product design uh, education of of habit forming design, um, and and I think this is a wonderful instantiation of that. If you get them mm-hmm. used to buying from Walmart, then it's going to be easier to get at the mid the mid range and the high end of of their yep. of their purchasing. That's it's it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, well, fantastic. Well, um, Corey, this has been really great. Um, I want to dig into a, a speed round of questions, if you don't mind. And uh, our first one actually is, is a fun one. Um, Fergus Falls, Minnesota. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we had to dig for this one. Um, what does one do in Fergus Falls, Minnesota uh, during winter? So Fergus Falls, you say Minnesota, by the way. Right? You have to get the <laughs> accent properly first if you're going to live up in that area. My accent comes out once in a while, especially when I say Minnesota. Well, I noticed I noticed the Swedish last name, so I, I feel like I'm... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, frankly, in the winter, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of outdoor activities. Like, I didn't want to be stuck in a house, you know, whether it was sledding down a hill, playing ice hockey, ice fishing, which if you haven't done, is, is a lot of fun. Snowmobiling, <laughs> snowboarding, like getting out and enjoying the outdoors. So the thing about Minnesota for me is it may be cold, but the sun is often shining. And just to be Mm. out and getting that vitamin D, playing in the snow, whatever you're doing, love to do it as a kid. I still really enjoy it today. Well, that's, uh, it's funny. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, sorry not to make this about me, but uh, I'm a a second generation native Californian. um, So I didn't see snow fall from the sky until I got to college and uh, uh, was fascinated when it, when I finally did. But um the idea that you'd want to spend time outside just seems crazy when it's that cold. Um, however, after living in Colorado for a little while and the sun shines so often, it was I was just like, oh, I can mind. I don't I don't care about the snow. I just need yeah. sunshine. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. um, no, that that actually does make some sense. Fantastic. Well, you know, one thing we haven't talked about is that you cut your teeth as a software engineer at Accenture, um, and yeah. I'm just curious if there's anything that you missed about writing code. I, what I really enjoyed about writing code, and I did it as long as they would let me, um, <laughs> there is you, you got to sort of take a discrete problem and, and really individually measure your progress towards solving that problem. Mm. And I got to see the output. And I got to see when I failed. I got immediate feedback when my program didn't compile or it failed the functional test, as an example. I loved that problem solving. And it's probably the thing I still enjoy the most about work is take a big sort of meaty problem, solve that problem for those that you're serving, maybe for your team members, 
And the satisfaction I get from that is what I really, really enjoy. So I've probably taken hmm. what I enjoyed most about software engineering and made a job out of it as an executive. <laughs> that's fantastic. I, I hope that's true for all of us. It's, uh, that's a gift. You spent a number of years in Bentonville uh, in your Walmart days. Uh, and you, you and I talked a little bit about this when we saw each other in person. What, what are some of the best things to do in Bentonville if you happen ben- to find yourself there? So for those who don't know, Bentonville's in Arkansas, sort of the northwest corner um, of Arkansas where Walmart's headquartered. So yeah, we lived there for nine years. One, in that warm of a climate, I highly recommend having access to a pool. It's just very nice in the summer. Um, so hopefully you can do that. But one of the things that the Walton family has really done, and this is a, primarily a couple of the grandkids, Tom and Stuart, is they've built hundreds of miles of mountain biking trails mm-hmm. around northwest Arkansas. They do it in other communities, but really a focus on north, building northwest Arkansas to be a destination for talent and mm. mountain biking, as an example, to attract people. I can't tell you the number of people I talk to in Minnesota that go down there to mountain bike. Hmm. I personally chose to trail run on those trails. I was really into running marathons and some ultras at the time and loved just running on those trails. <laughs> Still love it today, uh, if I can ever get back. You know, you may be surprised, but Bentonville over the last sort of six or seven years, a number of really good restaurants have opened there. And so a wide variety of food, a big influx of people from sort of outside of Northwest Arkansas into there. And then there's some really good breweries. Uh, hmm. One of my good buddies owns Bike Rack Breweries down there. Some of the best beer Sounds I've ever related. had. So, yeah. yeah. So Bike Rack, I mean, come on, and brewing, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Ultra marathons and and, uh, and being outdoors in Minnesota, I, I, I get the feeling you don't like yourself very much. Um <laughs> <laughs> so with that, when's uh, when's your next 100-mile bike ride? Gosh, how did we not stumble on this topic? Oh, that's that's a good one. Um, Century. Yes, but I did a 100-mile bike ride, first one ever this summer to raise money for the United Healthcare Children's Foundation, hmm. which is an awesome charity, um, or I should say an awesome charity at United Healthcare as part of United Health Group. So my next one will be in sort of the end of November, I'm going to attempt to do an Ironman. And so that involves 2.4 miles of swimming, 112 mile bike ride, and then 26.2 mile run. And so that's when I'm going to attempt my next 100 miler and hopefully I make it through. Wow. Uh, That's that's fantastic. I did some Olympic uh, triathlons for a while and uh, I thought they were going to break me. So I definitely wasn't going to make it for the Ironman. I I tip my cap to you, Corey. That's, That's incredible. Thank you. Well, that says that says a lot about your constitution, and uh, and I and and probably one of the key ingredients to transformation is that sustained, that steady pace. Um, I don't know if you find that there's a uh, a metaphorical connection there, but I I, I think there is. Yeah, I think there is because you know I always tell people, so it's amazing the progress that you can make over time when you say consistency on a set of priorities and focus on them. You don't have to arrive in a week, a month. Or a couple of months. But when you look back over three, six months, a year, it is amazing the progress you can make. Mm. And I think what, what matters more than anything there is setting really clear priorities and then staying true to those priorities. And understanding you're always going to reserve the right to learn more and adjust. Um, so let's not sort of lean into our biases there. Mm. Um, but I think it is amazing the progress you can make over time when you stay consistently focused on a set of priorities. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. 
Well, Corey, uh, thank you so much. This is a, a fantastic conversation, um, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you were here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. It was a blast. Yeah, thank you. This has been an episode of The Innovation Engine, a podcast from 3Pillar Global. 3Pillar is a digital product development and innovation partner that helps companies compete and win in the digital economy. To learn more about 3Pillar Global and how we can help you, visit our website at 3PillarGlobal.com. Lastly, remember to give us a rating and leave a review on your podcast player of choice. If you have any feedback or guest suggestions, send them over to info at 3PillarGlobal.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.